of Exodus chapter 3. Verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. As God, for the very first time in all of history, gives himself a name, he names himself I am. He says, my name is I am. My name is literally translated, I cause what is to be. And then Jesus enters the world. John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders. He's confronted by the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus made these statements, He gave Himself the same name, the only name that God has ever given Himself, the name that is above every name, I am. Jesus said, I am God. And those who worship Me must worship Me in spirit and truth. What a wonderful truth that God has come to this earth, took on the form of a servant, died in My place and in Your place, and has risen in a seat at the right hand of the throne of God, all because he loves us. Well, that was bonus. You got that for free. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12. Uh, if, if any of you have been cheating and been reading ahead, uh, you've, you've come across this passage and you've said, oh, I can't wait till the preacher gets to this. He's going to talk about the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin, and, and you've, you've marked it, you've highlighted it. Well, here we are. Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 through 37, the unpardonable sin. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to begin reading this morning, verse 30 through 37. Jesus makes the statement, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age that is to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. A good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and an evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for there in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Let's pray. Father, as we read this passage, Lord, may we see the principles and the truths that are found in your word. 
Lord, may we not rely upon what anecdotal evidence we have seen in our lives, Lord, but may we rest in your unchanging, inerrant, infallible word. Or may you speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, may we see ourselves in need of forgiveness, full and free. Or may your Holy Spirit have its way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, I want to begin today, and I hope that as you leave today, that you will know, one, that you need forgiveness, and two, that God has provided forgiveness. And I'm going to begin by saying that I believe the focal point of this passage is not on the unforgivable, but on the forgivable. Most of us read this passage and we gloss over the first part of verse 30. Uh, we, we gloss over uh, verse 30, the first part of verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. Because we see the last part of verse 31 that says, but if you do this, then it's not unforgivable, or I'm sorry, that it's not forgivable, and we camp out there. And we, we, we want to understand what is it that is not forgivable. And, and I'm going to try and touch that this morning. Uh, Charles Stanley said, spirit-anointed preaching compromises no truth, avoids no subject, and fears no, rea- fears no reaction. And so uh, I, in no way, am going to attempt to avoid the subject of the unpardonable sin, but I believe that the greater emphasis on this passage should be on the first part of verse 31, that any sin and transgression that a man has committed shall be forgiven him. And so we're going to camp out there. We're going to address the other part. But I want us to, to understand the crux and the, the, the heart of the message of the gospel is not that which is unforgivable, but that which is forgiven. The whole heart of the gospel is about grace. It is about God's love and compassion demonstrated through the person, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so if we camp out on on that which is unforgivable, then we miss the whole heart of the gospel. That being said, we will address what the text deals with. But I want to begin, I want us to start out in verse 30, because this is where the text starts out. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And he is drawing a line in the sand, and he is clearly saying there is no neutrality with Jesus. I remember whenever I was in high school, we would study about World War I, and we'd study about World War II, and we'd study about all of the conflicts and the French Revolution and, and, and Vietnam and all of this. And it seemed that there was something that was consistent throughout all of, of world history, and that was the stance of Switzerland when it came to war. And everybody knows that the Swiss were always neutral. And in many ways, as Christians, we want to be like the Swiss. We want to remain neutral when it comes to things of controversy or when it comes to to, to things of, of, of faith. We don't want to be too weird. We don't want to be too much in love with Jesus because that's just weird. We don't want to be too fanatical because that's just weird. And so we... We want to remain neutral. Now, when we come to church, we're certainly going to sing. We're going to raise our hands. We're going to, we're going to you know, have, have this moment where, where we love Jesus. But whenever we go home, whenever we go to work, we can't be too in love with Jesus because we'll just be weird. We'll be those Jesus people, and nobody will want to sit with us at the lunchroom. 
We'll be at work. We'll, we'll be those people who always talk about Jesus and nobody will befriend us. And whenever we go to the ball fields, we can't talk too much about Jesus because we'll be labeled as those people. And so in life, more often than not, I find that Western Christianity is a lot like Switzerland. We just want to be neutral. Jesus makes a statement in verse 30, there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Many live lives of neutrality regarding to Jesus, but I want us to notice all throughout the Gospels that, there were, that those who met Jesus had two responses. Two, and only two. They either followed Jesus or they opposed Jesus. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, Pilate, the Roman officials, they rejected and they were, they were adamantly opposed to Jesus. The contrite, the broken, the prostitute, the adulterer. They were impacted by the grace of God and they followed Jesus. Notice Jesus' words in verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. There is a clear dividing line. You're either with Christ or or you're not with Christ. There is no neutrality with Jesus. We see this in Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the talents. I want us to look very, very briefly, and then we're going to move on. Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 28. Jesus makes this statement. He says, And there was one who had received one talent. He came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathered where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. The seed you have, what is yours? But his master said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have put the money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. And we know the parable that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that the landowner, he gave, he gave one person five talents, one person two talents, and one person one talent, and he said, uh, and, and then he came back sometime later and the person with five talents had doubled his talent, the person with two talents had doubled his talent, the person with one buried it in the ground. And so we say, well, well this, is, this has nothing to do with what you're talking about, preacher. Well, I disagree. Jesus has entrusted us with the gospel. He has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. And most of us live a life of neutrality. We take this message that is more valuable than anything in the entire world And we bury it in the ground. And when the master comes back, we're going to say, see, I have kept this gospel, I've kept this message, and I've kept it intact, and I give it back to you. And Jesus says, no, you who don't gather with me, scatter. If you are not using what God has given you, if you are not investing the message, if you are not investing the most most valuable thing that God has given the world, the gospel, the message of reconciliation, the message of grace, the message of forgiveness, then you are opposed to him. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. If you're not gathering with him, then by your neutrality, you are indeed scattered. All right, let's look at the heart of the text. Verse 31. Verse 31, Matthew chapter 12. Verse 31, Jesus says there is no neutrality when it comes to the message of the gospel. And then he gets into the message of the gospel. He says, therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. 
Now, I want us to notice, before we get into the forgiveness aspect, I want us to notice the authority with which Jesus speaks. Jesus says, now therefore I say to you. All throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets speak on behalf of God. All throughout the Old Testament. And how do they speak on behalf of God? Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah, speaking of the judgment that was coming to the land of Judah, he said, thus saith the Lord, if you don't, if you don't repent and turn from your idolatry and serve the living God, then judgment shall befall, thus saith the Lord. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Habakkuk, Joel, Obadiah, all of the prophets, thus saith the Lord. Notice how Jesus speaks. He does not say, thus saith the Lord. He says, therefore, I say unto you. We see this in the Beatitudes. We see this in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I say to you. He said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. You've heard it said about divorce. You've heard it said about this. You've heard it said about this. But I say unto you, Jesus is speaking as one with authority. Jesus and Jesus alone has the authority to forgive sin. Jesus is the one who is giving forgiveness. When I was young, I was afraid of my dad. My dad uh, was one of the most intimidating men that I've ever met in my entire life. My friends, uh, when I would ask them to come spend the night, their first question was, is your dad going to be home? <clears throat> it wasn't, what are we going to do? Sure, let's, let's, let's go spend the night. The question was, is your dad going to be home? And if the answer was yes, then no, I'll rather come another night. Because my dad was a scary, intimidating man. And you would think that that would deter my, uh, my disobedient uh, behavior. You would think that because he was, he was so, so big and so intimidating that I would all of a sudden, by, uh, uh, motivated by fear, that I would be good. Not so. When I was about, I guess I was about eight or nine years old, I decided, I decided that, uh, that I wanted a cap gun that I had seen at the corner store. My mom would often send me to the corner store to go get a gallon of milk or go, go get a loaf of bread. And so I'd ride down there on my bike and I'd buy, she'd send me with, you know, three, four dollars and I'd buy a gallon of milk or I'd buy a loaf of bread. Well, there was this, this display that had water guns and cap guns and, uh, you know, just stuff that little boys like, and, and I saw this cap gun, and every time I went to go buy a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk, there was this cap gun staring at me in the face, and I said, I said I've got to have that cap gun. So one day, I had gotten up to the nerve, I said, you know what, I don't have enough money to buy this cap gun, so I'm going to take this cap gun. And so I took the cap gun, and I put it under my shirt, and shoved it down in the front of my pants, and I went and bought my gallon of milk, kind of hunched over, so the, so the store clerk wouldn't see the cap gun under my shirt, and I buy the gallon of milk, and I get on my bike, and I ride home, and, and I get home, and I put the gallon of milk on the counter, and I hurry and walk to the back of the room so I can, you know, remove the evidence so I don't get busted, and my mom very observantly said, what? you got under your shirt and like the quick thinker i am i responded nothing because clearly there wasn't anything bulging out from underneath my shirt clearly that 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 was not uh that 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 witty 
banter was going to, to alleviate any suspicion because I wasn't doing anything wrong. Nothing. She says, well, lift up your shirt. So I lifted up my shirt and showed her what nothing was underneath my shirt. And she says, where'd you get that? And I knew that I was caught. I said, I got it at the store. So she said, put it on the counter and go wait in your room till your dad gets home. As I sat in my room, I thought, this is it. This is where I go to meet my maker. My life is over. It's been a good run, nine years, had some good times. This is it. My life is over. So dad gets home. Mom tells dad what I had done. He comes into the room. He asks me what I had done. I knew there was no point in lying at this point. Although I spent a good deal of time trying to figure out a way if I could somehow fabricate a lie that, that could somehow save my life. But as you could tell, I wasn't very witty. Nothing was under my shirt. I couldn't figure anything out. So I told my dad what happened. He says, come on, we're going to take a ride. I'm thinking he's going to take me where there's no witnesses. <laughs> so we go down to the corner store. He says, you're going to return this and you're going to apologize to the store owner, store clerk. So I did. I walked in there. I brought the cap gun back. I said, I stole this. And he said, okay, I want you to come back and you know, every day for a month, you're going to come to the store and you're going to clean up the yard. So every day after school, I rode to the corner store and I cleaned up the yard. But I thought, <laughs> that's fine. That's the sentence you want to give me. My dad's about to kill me whenever we go to get home. So, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be you know, free from that sentence. Well, I get home and I experience something that That really shocked me. My dad didn't kill me. I didn't even get I didn't even get a spanking. He didn't lecture me. He showed me forgiveness. And I want us to look at the passage here in Matthew chapter twelve, verse thirty, thirty one. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven you. Jesus doesn't say, therefore, I say to you, as long as your sin is not too bad, it'll be forgiven. He said, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven you. God desires to give grace. I want us to look at some other passages. Exodus chapter 34. As God is speaking to Moses up on the mountain. As Moses is meeting with God as a man meets face to face. In Exodus chapter 34 verses 6. So the Lord passed by in front of him and the Lord proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, your God, compassionate 
and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. Judgment is His strange work. He is abounding in loving kindness. Go to Psalm chapter 103. The book of Psalms tells us that God does not deal with us in accordance with our sin. Verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgression from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear Him. John chapter 3, verse 17. We see in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him but should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John chapter 3, verse 17 tells us that, that God did not come to judge the world, that Christ came not to be the judge, but He came that the world might be saved through Him, that God's desire is to demonstrate grace. He calls Himself the Heavenly Father for a reason. To give us that, that, that word picture, to give us that relational understanding that God desires to treat us as His children. And just in the same way that my dad was, was horrified at the mistake that I had made and was, wanted me to learn, wanted me to, to understand that what I did was wrong, that my dad loved me. And he did not want to punish me. It wasn't until I became a dad and I watched my children disobey. And I saw in my own heart what it did when I had to discipline them. How it, how it, it tore me up inside because I loved them. I remember when Daniel was three years old, maybe he was two years old, we had a standoff. Daniel at, at, at two years old said, you know what? I know what's best, and I'm not going to pick up my Legos out of the den. And Dad said, you're going to pick up your Legos out of the den. And so when he said, no, I'm not going to do it, there was, a, there was a moment. As a dad, I said, I really wish I hadn't have told him to pick up the Legos because it doesn't matter. It's just Legos in the middle of the floor. But because I told him to pick it up and because he's being defiant and disobedient, I have to, I have to enforce what I've said. And so, for about an hour, I said, pick up the Legos. And he said, no. And I would spank him and put him in the corner. And we'd come back to the Legos. And I'd say, pick up the Legos. And he'd say, no. And I'd spank him and put him in the corner. And they'd come back about five minutes later. I'd say, pick up the Legos. And he'd say, no. And we did this for about an hour. And he was crying. And I was crying. And Natalie was crying. We were all crying. And I saw what it meant. For a father to have to discipline his son and it tore me up. And I just wanted to take him and hold him in my arms and say, I don't care about the stupid Legos. Because grace and forgiveness is at the heart of our Heavenly Father. 
That is what he desires. His his heart, his motivation, his his character is grace and forgiveness. And so church, I want us to hear this, that God desires forgiveness more than judgment. God desires grace more than wrath. God wants to forgive. He wants to love you. He wants to show compassion. That is his heart. So here's the question I have for you. What has God forgiven you? If you are saved, if you are a child of the King, what has He forgiven you? Has He forgiven you of your lies? Has He forgiven you of your idolatry? Of your pride? Of your arrogance? Has He forgiven you? The answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Why? Because that is who He is. He is a God who forgives. And Jesus makes this clear in verse 31. He says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and any blasphemy shall be forgiven, men. There is nothing that you have done that cannot and will not be forgiven if you will come to Him. Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 29, it said, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1, it tells us that, that if we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. That is the heart of God, that He desires forgiveness. And so I'm telling you right now, church, there is nothing that you can do, nothing that you have done that is outside of the grace of God. Nothing. Who is needing forgiveness? Look at this passage. Who is needing forgiveness? Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the religious. He's speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the audience of this passage. Who is needing forgiveness? Those who think they don't need forgiveness. Maybe you're sitting here and you know that you're in need of forgiveness. You know that you're a liar. You know that you're a thief. You know that you're an addict. You know that you're, a li- that, that you're an idolater. You know that, that, that you're caught in sin. You know that, that, that your heart is deceitfully wicked. And you know that you're in need of forgiveness. And you're in need of grace. And that God gives freely. But there are those of you who are sitting here. And you've got it all figured out. You've been a church member since you can remember. You got baptized when you were six. Said a prayer at at a vacation Bible school. You served. You've taught Sunday school. You've taught vacation Bible school. You've served on this committee. You've served on that committee. You said, I'm good. I've got it all figured out. I'm not in need of forgiveness. Who was Jesus speaking to? Those who weren't in need of forgiveness. Those who had not transgressed the law. Those who had made so many laws on top of the law that they were so sure that they had not transgressed the law that they prided themselves on their ability to keep the law. Not only have we kept the law of God, we've kept all these additional laws that we've added to the law of God. Who is Jesus speaking to? Those people. Don't be deceived by your religion, church. Don't be deceived by your piety. Don't be deceived by your behavior. Just because you're not the alcoholic 
Just because you're not the drug addict does not mean that you don't need forgiveness. Forgiveness is needed not because of our actions, but because of our heart. Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, for it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I believe that there are many within the church who think that they don't need the forgiveness of God. Oh, maybe one time in their life they did. Maybe one time in their life they were in need of forgiveness, but now they're good. Now they're okay. Now they have fixed their life. They have cleaned up everything. They no longer smoke and drink and go and chew and go with the girls that do. They have, they have fixed everything. Life is good. They're honorable. They do what is right. So did the Pharisees, and Jesus called them a brood of vipers. They did what was right. It's a good thing that God doesn't look at our behavior, but He looks at our heart. Forgiveness is needed not because of our behavior, not because of our actions, not because of what we do or what we don't do. Forgiveness is needed because our heart is far from Him. We may acknowledge Him with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. Jesus is the only one who is able to to forgive. Jesus is the ultimate judge. He is the only one who is able to forgive. The Pharisees, the religious, those are the ones who are needing forgiveness. Don't be deceived by your religion. We are in desperate need of forgiveness. So, who is it that is not forgiven? Who is it that is not forgiven? Go back to the original text, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. So, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Very blatantly very clearly blasphemy of the holy spirit would be attributing to the spirit of god that which is of satan that is blasphemy of the holy spirit taking taking something that the spirit of god is doing and giving credit to the enemy giving credit to satan so for our purpose for the text what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What is Jesus saying? What is he communicating to the Pharisees? He is communicating to the Pharisees that the Spirit of God is evident in me, in the Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, And God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the full revelation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, In Him was the full radiance of the Father, that He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is living in, in, in him and through him. And so Jesus is saying, what I am doing, what I am preaching, what I am performing, that is the work of the Spirit of God. And so taking and attributing that which God is doing through Christ to Satan would be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Pharisees had just done in the passages previously. He said, they said that he cast out demons by the prince of demons, that he cast out demons by Beelzebub. And so he is saying that what you are doing, attributing that what the Spirit of God is doing to the work of Satan is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, Jesus is saying, rejection 
of the Spirit of God in the person of Christ is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Taking the Spirit of God as it is empowered and indwelled Christ and He is working and attributing that to to the enemy and, and rejecting that which God is doing through Jesus is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, So what is that which is unforgivable? Well, since there is only one name by which men must be saved, go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We see Peter and John making this statement. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejection of the person of Jesus is that which is unforgivable. Because Jesus is the means of forgiveness. And so if in Christ all is forgiven, the only thing that is not forgiven is not in Christ. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that Christ is the only means and method of forgiveness. And so because Christ is the only means and method of forgiveness, that the Spirit of God has moved in us. Remember, as we look at salvation, there are three aspects of salvation. Theology 101, put on your thinking caps here. There are three three aspects of atonement, three aspects of salvation. You have the Trinity, the Godhead, delineating those three aspects of salvation. Here we go. You have the Father who initiates who who conceives salvation who conceives atonement you have jesus being the means and the method of that salvation of that atonement and you have the spirit of god who applies that salvation that atonement the trinity in the in the application of salvation You have God is the initiator, God the Father. You have God the Son as the means and the method of salvation. And you have God the Spirit who is the application of that atonement to us. How do we come unto salvation? By conviction of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God reveals to us we need a Savior. We cry out to forgiveness. That is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What do we cry out for? We cry out for forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sin based upon what Jesus has done by the method of salvation. Whose idea was it? It was the Father's. And so as we we reject the application of the Holy Spirit, as we reject Jesus' method, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Taking that which God has done and saying, no, that is not of God. The Pharisees had done just that. They had said this. In their heart, they had said, this man, Jesus, cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be of God. He must be of the enemy. Because in my mind, I can't conceive a world where this man from Nazareth, This servant, this slave, this this peasant, I can't conceive in my mind, in my rationale, a world in which Jesus is the son of David, in which Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, since I can't conceive it, he must be of the enemy. Because of their pride, they say, I can't see how this is of God, therefore it must not be of God. 
This is that which is unforgivable. When we reject the person through whom the Spirit of God has revealed to us as the Messiah and say, I cannot serve that Jesus. Matthew chapter 12 finishes with this statement. Jesus says this, I say to you, every careless word that men speak, they shall give an account for there in the day of judgment. For by your word you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Because out of the heart the mouth speaks. So here's the question I have to you, church. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need the grace of God in your life? The answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the good news of the gospel is Jesus said, any sin, any blasphemy shall be forgiven. By whom? By Jesus. Because that's what he does. Only that, the only thing that is not forgivable is rejection of Jesus. Jesus said, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're asking, have I committed this unpardonable sin? Let me answer it very clearly. No. If you're sitting here hearing the Word of God, there is opportunity for you to turn from your sin, to turn from your idolatry and cry out and say, have mercy upon me. Give me grace. I am in need of forgiveness. And those who come to Jesus, He will in no wise cast them out. He said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He has said that He is the means of forgiveness. John tells us in 1 John that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come. To come and find forgiveness. Full and free. Let's pray. God, our need for forgiveness is not because of our actions. Our need of forgiveness is because of our heart. Our heart may be full of pride. Our heart may be far from you. But we put on a a coat and tie and we bring a big black Bible to church and we say all the right things and we do all the right things. Lord, but you know our heart. And we're in desperate need of forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is you forgive fully over and over and over again because you're a God of great grace and a God of great mercy. Lord, may you demonstrate to us forgiveness this morning. As you hung upon the cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's some here this morning who needs to be forgiven. Jesus said, come. 
All who are weary and heavy laden, come. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of any and all unrighteousness. God, today, may you have your way in this place this morning. And may Jesus be glorified.